0: Good evening. If you'd like to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, our study this evening will begin with that text, Luke nine 23. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Our powerful, all wise... Heavenly Father and Creator, we are grateful to be able to be here this evening and to worship. And we're grateful for the love that you have poured out toward us in making it possible for us to be your children. Father, as we've already acknowledged in prayer this evening, we are absolutely dependent on you. And we're thankful that you've loved us so much that you did send your Son Father, we want to fulfill your desire for us to love others and to be tools that you can use to further your will and your purposes in this world. And so, Father, we pray that we might be open to the various ways and that we might have eyes to see opportunities and help us, Lord, to to fulfill the the mission that you've given us in showing your love to others. Father, we we pray for our neighbors, that they may, too, also come to to know you and to know your love and your goodness and your salvation. And as we look at your word this evening, Father, we we pray that we might have humble hearts before it, that you might shape us and mold us according to your will. We ask all these things in your Son's name. Amen. The theme for our congregation this year is every day. And the core idea behind the selection of this theme comes from a challenge that Jesus issued near the shore of Caesarea Philippi. He told his disciples, If anyone wants to become my follower... He must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Look at those words. Very clearly, Jesus is calling people to a deliberate daily lifestyle, a way of living. And furthermore, we discover in these words that following Jesus cannot be something that's passive, That is, discipleship is not automatically imposed upon us. Yes, God gives us spiritual life that we cannot attain by ourselves. He gives that to us, and He places us within the kingdom and and within the body of Christ. But then to live as a Christian, to live as a disciple, we are called to be deliberate in how we move forward. so that following Jesus involves our intentionality those words if anyone wants to be come my follower he must deny himself that's what we must do he must take up his cross daily and he must follow me being a, a Christian is to walk in the way of the cross but but how does the way of the cross shape our everyday living the language of denying ourself and picking up our cross and following christ points that basic attitude that jesus exemplified in the garden of gethsemane when he says and he prays to god you know not my will but your will be done and there's that that basic attitude of cross-bearing It's one where we die to our will and what we want and instead say, what is your will? And I'm going to live out that with my life. The disciple chooses to live for God's will in God's way. Even though at some times his or her own desires might strongly pull in another direction, the disciple is saying, no, I'm going to submit my will to yours. I'm going to pick up my cross. I'm going to die to myself and follow the way that Christ lived and died. When we summarize God's will for our life, in in us submitting to His will, you can summarize it with two large ideas. Love God and love others as you love yourself. And loving God, it entails offering to God in and, and gratefulness and thankfulness for all that He has done for us, the, the reverence and the obedience that He deserves. And so we obey His will and we want to do what He has told us to do. He is the Creator and He is worthy of honor and praise and glory, but He's also poured out His love and He has guided us in, in what is good and right for us. And loving, fo- the loving God involves obeying Him and worshiping Him. And loving others as we love ourselves involves actively seeking the well-being of other people. And Jesus called this, the second one, the second greatest commandment of the law. And this second greatest commandment of the law is pointing to, you might say, that the second greatest aspect that God wants for his people on how he wants them to live and that is to love others as they love themselves. This is God's will for his people. When James wrote to that early church, he reemphasized this second principle that is so critical for denying ourselves and picking up our crosses and following Jesus. In James chapter 2 and verse 8, we can read if you fulfill the royal law as expressed in the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. You know, if our religious faith is leading us to love others, James says, you are doing well. And these are easy words to read. And, and as those who study God's word and for many, many years have, have become so familiar with it, they're expected words. But what we might not expect is that in this letter, James found it necessary to battle against two forces that can create barriers against loving our neighbor. Forces that can distort faith. You know, I like to believe that as, as James writes about these, that he's simply tuned in to the temptations that people have. They just, he's tuned in to the, the ways that... that Disciples might stumble and get off track a little bit. But as we look at what he wrote in verse 6, he makes the assertion that they are actively doing these things that are wrong. And so it appears that he's aware that some of those first century Christians who are supposed to be denying themselves and following Christ are in fact failing to love their neighbor. because people don't change. We'd be wise to have ears to hear and eyes to see what James wrote and challenges about loving our neighbor. The first barrier against loving our neighbor that he points out in in his letter is the barrier of prejudice, the barrier of favoritism. In James chapter 2 and verse 1, he begins writing about it in this way. My brothers... Do not show prejudice if you possess faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. That command is bold. It's simple. It's direct. If if you are a follower of Christ, do not have prejudice. Do not have favoritism. He continues with an example. For if someone goes into your assembly wearing a gold ring and fine clothing, and a poor person enters in filthy clothes, do you pay attention to the one who is finely dressed and say, You sit here in a good place, and to the poor, Well, you stand over there, or, or sit on the floor? If so, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Then later he goes on to write, if you show prejudice, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as violators. You see, prejudice and favoritism will cause a person to seek the well-being of some, but to dismiss the dignity and the needs of others. The fleshly nature encourages us to limit who we love. A lawyer came up to Jesus, and he wanted to limit who he needed to love he, he'd just been reminded about the, the greatest the second greatest command is, is to love your neighbor as yourself and he wants to limit that and so he says so who is my neighbor and Jesus begins to tell a story the story of a, a Jewish man who's on his way to Jericho And on on the way, he falls in the hands of of robbers and and thieves, and they they, they beat him up, and they leave him there with a broken body and destroyed on the side of a road. And and then these religious individuals come along, and and they pass by on the other side for whatever reason. And then finally this Samaritan, the enemy, the, the person that has been at odds with the Jews, comes by, sees the man there, wounded, lying in the dirt. He, He picks him up, puts him on his own animal, takes him to an inn, takes care of him, gives him medical attention, tells the inn owner, Look, anything this guy needs, put it on my account. And when I come back, I'll settle with you. And then Jesus turns around and asks this expert in the law. So, who was a neighbor to the man? And the answer is clear. It was the enemy. It was the Samaritan. And Jesus, with the story, explodes any limitation on who the neighbor can be. In fact, Jesus will say very bluntly, love your enemies and do good to them that persecute you this is definitely the way of the cross <laughs> because this is not natural no, no, the natural thing is, is to put limitations and, and get this thing manageable and controllable and, and these people are the ones I can love and, and show kindness and care to and I have good reason to eliminate all of those people for these reasons they don't deserve that I'm not under obligation I, I, I don't need to feel compulsion. James identified the poor as one group that God's people might be tempted to set aside if we cast off looking at people through the eyes of God if we cast off seeing them as he sees them then our fleshly minds can very easily accumulate a long list of reasons to justify prejudice and favoritism Prejudice and favoritism will rear its ugly head in in such statements like, well, we want these people, this couple, this family, to become members of our church because they're the right kind of people. That's a perspective foreign to Christ. Christ died for all people. And he's calling all people to be transformed more into his image. And it's not just certain categories of people who are in desperate need of dying to themselves and picking up their cross and following Him. But it is all of us. And we all have the need to shed self-centeredness and to submit our lives to serving His will and to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. James knows people all too well. And so he goes to another barrier against loving your neighbor as yourself. Uh, I call it the barrier of empty goodwill. James chapter 2 and verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you, not, you do not give them what the body needs, what good is it? So also faith, if it does not have works, is dead being by itself you believe that God is one well and good even the demons believe that and tremble with fear for just as the body without the spirit is dead so also faith without works is dead the second enemy cutting a person short from fulfilling the royal law to seek the well-being of our neighbor involves extending empty pleasantries to those in need A person might feel like his or her religious faith is really strong. A Christian might have accurate knowledge about God, Christ, and and the teachings of the Bible. But James says that religious faith is a a dead corpse unless that that knowledge, that, that faith in Christ leads a person to act in love. James does not use the language of the cross here. But James is reminding us about what it means to be a disciple, as one who has picked up his cross. He's denying himself and following Jesus. And that path does not involve filling our agenda so full of activities and and so full of ourselves that all we can offer to others is, well, I hope everything goes well for you. The path of discipleship involves loving our neighbor and not allowing favoritism and prejudice to get in the way. The path of disciple, a discipleship involves loving our neighbor and, and not allowing mere empty words of goodwill derail living out genuine love toward our neighbor. We have many ministries here at Mac. I think it's about 35. That's fantastic. And each of these ministries, in one way or another, is ultimately founded on either directly or indirectly contributing toward loving God or loving our fellow human beings as ourselves. It guides us into who we are and what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing. And tonight, in conjunction with the Care Cottage Open House, we are focusing on how our congregation is seeking to love our neighbors through that ministry housed across the parking lot. And I'd like for you to meet some of our neighbors. Her name is Yolanda. She's a divorced woman about sixty. She works as a custodian. While working as a custodian, she fell and she hurt her col- her tailbone. And then as she goes through the paperwork to, to file for workers' compensation, there, there's difficulties, there's problems, there's hurdles, there's delay, and she doesn't have the means to eat. She's waiting on the hearing. She comes to the care cottage. She has all of her documentation. She was referred to us by unemployment. She'd already been to the care cottage when she came and talked with me. And as she began, as she began to describe what the food would mean for her, the emotions gushed forth because the care cottage was showing love and she felt it. She described what that food would mean for her that day and in the coming days. Meet Darrell. Darrell works a security shift, but his hours were scaled back. The little money he had was quickly eaten up as, as he was looking desperately for additional part-time work to supplement his, his lost work. It did not take long before he was even facing eviction. Somewhere through some source he learns about our care cottage ministry. And the care cottage ministry afforded him the dignity of doing something for himself while receiving help. He was able to receive food and clothing and the money that he would have spent on the food and the clothing he then could save that money and, and, and use it himself to pay his bills because he didn't have enough money for some of his bills and food but by us supplying food and clothing he didn't have to worry about that need and he could use his money just for the bills The care cottage is designed to help people in crisis. It's not to be a permanent support system for them. And so, when it comes to food, families are are able to come four times, and as quickly as they might need those four times, and in order to help them get through that hurdle, a hump, a a crisis, a difficult point, so they can get back on on their feet. And so, who are our neighbors? Well, the neighbors that we see at the care cottage—they come in all ages. They come in all skin colors and hues. They come with all types of names. They come with all sorts of problems. And many of our neighbors that are in need have come to our care cottage. Laura came to the care cottage. Early childhood intervention referred Laura to us. You see, there's a number of agencies that that know about MacArthur Park Care Cottage. The MacArthur Park Church of Christ shows love. We have that reputation in the community. And so Laura was referred to us. And Laura is a single mother of four children. She is trying to get a, a degree through an online university. Things are not always right in life and they're not always fair. The father is not paying child support. He's not helping her. But that doesn't change her reality and what she has to live with and the the food and the bills for the four children. It also doesn't change the reality that one of her children has Down syndrome who requires her attention and, and also limits what she can do. During the school year, her kids eat breakfast and lunch at school program at school. She receives food stamps. But during the summer, suddenly things get very stressful because now what the school was providing with those breakfasts and lunches, she now has to provide on the meager resources that she has, and they're stretched thin. She brought in the documentation to substantiate each aspect of her story. By the time she visited the care cottage, she'd already sold her TV, she was selling the things in her little apartment. She was scaling down from one apartment to another apartment. She had been divorced not too long, but it was getting real difficult. Laura received some love from MacArthur Park Church Christ. I looked hard for a letter I don't know where the letter went, I received a letter from a school counselor. It said several months ago I referred to MacArthur Park Church of Christ, a single mother who was pregnant had a young child in school and was in desperate needs. And you helped her at a critical point in her life. And I've been able to find some some other resources to, to help her get life back on track. But you were able to help her at a very critical point. We showed love to our neighbor. The care cottage is deeply aware that the greatest need any of us has is a spiritual life which Jesus makes possible while food and clothing are important love cannot stop there at the front desk when a client comes in there's a l- little sign that welcomes them to, to ask more if they like to talk of, about God about the Bible about life there are little brochures on the wall that they can pick up. This one asks the question, why is Jesus so important for our lives? It's written for people who, who don't know the Bible. And so it, it avoids even some of the, the things we take for granted. Instead of saying Romans 6, 23, it has it spelled out, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And it explains why Jesus is so important. Another one describes forgiveness, belonging to God and starting a new spiritual life. And these are right there in the care cottage for them to pick up. And and those that receive food bags. There's a, a slip of paper that has this information on it that is stuck into every single bag. Because we want to give them the opportunity not only to have this bread, but to have the bread of life. Because if you eat of this bread, you'll die. But if you eat of that bread, you live forever. And that's their biggest need and their greatest need. But sometimes people can't hear that until you show love that they understand. And so we're showing love through the care cottage. Sometimes clients indicate that they would like a Bible study. Pat was one of those who said that she wanted to study. One of the volunteers on, on the frontline team studied weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks with Pat. And I want to say that it ended with a person giving their life to Christ. But unfortunately, Pat did not make that decision. But there have been others who have come to the care cottage and also asked to study, like Urena. Maybe you remember Urena. After a series of Bible studies, Urania became our sister and she worshipped faithfully with us until moving to the East Coast. Among those who become members of our congregation in recent years are several whom our first contact was through the care cottage. Our care cottage is a ministry that is reaching out with love to change lives. Not just by providing them food and clothing but also pointing people to the bread of life whom we all are dependent upon. Some of you have already gone through the open house this afternoon. And you saw the remodeling that occurred last year and the additional repairs and painting that has just been completed. You've learned about how our food and clothing processes work. You saw how we're trying to point people to Jesus and the resources that are there. And The question, would you like a Bible study? And you've experienced where people in our community will encounter the difference that comes when the lives of people have been touched by Jesus and they show love to others. If you've not yet gone through the open house, I invite you to do so after services. They'll be open for about another 20 minutes. Several years ago, Tamara asked me to take a, a class of what I call short people. I don't know if they're first or second graders, but it was a Wednesday night. A- and so... We walked over there, and I was going to explain the Care Cottage and and what we're doing there and how we're trying to help people and the purposes of this ministry. And the assistant, the teacher assistant for, for that class, had been a member, I believe, here about two years or maybe more. And as we walked back across the parking lot, she said, I had no idea we were doing this. This is wonderful. And it is. And that's why we have the open house. So that you can go and see what's going on at the care cottage. David Banton asked for our scripture reading tonight. He's he's organized the open house. He's done a fantastic job with that. And I'd like to close our, our thoughts tonight by reading something that, that I wrote. A little article I wrote. As I began to think about the scripture reading that that David gave for this lesson tonight. And as I looked at the message there in James, and I said, what is the message that God is trying to communicate to people through this text? And how is that message supposed to intersect with our lives? How is it supposed to change us and confront us? And if we're humble before it, what will it do to us? And these were the the first thoughts that came to my mind after looking at James. I do not know how Susan rings the church office doorbell. Presumably she holds something in her hand to depress the white button. To my shame, I have forgotten the name of her skin condition that has deformed her hands and as it has tightened her epidermis into a taut surface like a balloon set to explode. To prevent further complications, she avoids all direct human contact, as well as any objects others may have handled. As might be anticipated, she's not employed. She is unmarried she is among the poor of our land Susan evokes various reactions from people sometimes she is the recipient of sympathy and pity while others may simply pretend she is not there being unsure of how to respond since she can be demanding and rude at times some probably are curt with her She is among the poor of our land. Nearly 2,000 years ago, as James extolled the principle of you shall love your neighbor as yourself, he identified two barricades preventing people from exemplifying love. The first is prejudice. Prejudice extinguishes love by fostering a judgmental attitude with evil motives. Writing bluntly, James commanded, Do not show prejudice if you possess faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Discrimination prompts us to differentiate how we act toward others, thereby shutting down the spigot of love toward some. Another insidious enemy of love entails extending mere pleasantries. Having said kind words such as, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, a Christian might feel vindicated in being a godly, loving person. James rips this polite mask away, exposing a worthless religious corpse. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Even without these two obstacles, the challenge to genuinely and actively seek the well-being of others, whether they be poor or not, can be challenging. Love does not empower self-destructive ways nor does it always spew gentle, affirming words. In spite of the hurdles, Jesus rose to the challenge of loving his neighbor, and he calls us to follow in his footsteps. Whether rich or poor, whether oriental or occidental, everyone can justifiably sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Why can we sing, Jesus loves me, this I know? Because he acted for our well-being. He gave his life for us upon the cross. As Jesus' followers, what do our actions proclaim about our heart motivations toward everyone who may walk into our assemblies or live in our communities? To what degree do we look like those following Jesus? Jesus calls us to the way of the cross. It may be this evening that someone has not yet given their life to Christ. He's died to give us everything. Everything that is important that we can't get on our own. He gave us life, eternal life, an inheritance. The ability to be called children of God. If you have not yet responded to him, we invite you, if you believe that he is the son of God who died for you and rose again, we invite you to come to acknowledge him and to be buried in baptism with him and then raised up to a new life, a life made possible by his death. If there's any way that we can serve, any prayer request, whatever it be, let it be known while we stand and sing.